Well, unfortunately, in between the time 25 minutes ago when we posted the link here and here, Matt had a family emergency and he had to run out. So you're stuck with me with the monitors so super close that I can see uh, your questions, which I really would love because otherwise I'm just going to be talking here, which though my daughter once said to me, Mama, you're good at talking. Ah. Uh, I really would be more happy to be having a conversation with you guys. Hi. Anyway, I'm, hi, I'm Nancy Rommelman coming to you live from the Paloma Media Studios in Chinatown. I'm trying to get the screen a little better here. Um, so we are here today. First of all, I haven't been here for week. None of us. Matt's been traveling. I've been traveling. I just got back from San Francisco and also driving home from Tulsa. Uh, so uh, we have not been here for our we, – we totally lied. We said we were going to do you see you next Tuesdays, every Tuesday afternoon. We're liars keep us to the fact that we are liars, but we will um, we will try to do better in the future, though. There is a lot of traveling coming up this summer. Um, I'm here today. I was going to be here with my partner in crime, Matt Welch, um, to talk about Felicia Sonmez, the former reporter for the Washington Post, and also Chesa Boudin, the former uh, district attorney for San Francisco. Both were um, ushered out of their jobs last week. Uh, Chesa Boudin last uh, Tuesday night uh, in a recall election. Uh, California has had a statute on the books since 1911 uh, that you can you can vote people out if you don't like them or you can recall them, which apparently they haven't abused. Um, they've used like less than a dozen, fewer than a dozen times since it was instituted. Um, he was he was uh, ushered out fairly decisively. Um, it the the. The night of, it was 60 to 40. Now I think it's 44 to 56. But anyway, he's gone. Uh, I've written a whole bunch about that, and I'll put some links here, or you can go over to my Substack um, or over to Paloma Media, and you can see what we've uh, done about it. Also, Reason Magazine did a nice little video where they interviewed me and kind of talked about why the voters wanted Boudin out, um, essentially. And please throw your questions up here for me if you have them. Excuse me while I drink my raspberry soda. Basically, um, he squeaked by in a, um, a ranked vote choice election in 2019, November 2019, on a very progressive policy. And those policies were they were going to hold the police accountable for what they saw as ver various uh, criminality and venality and basically, you know, a police state sort of thing, which I, I don't think probably was ever the case in San Francisco, though, of course, sometimes, you know, police act badly. It happens. Um, he was go he got rid of cash bail. Uh, he made certain sort of Social crimes, not a crime anymore. Urination, public camping. Um, he he took out. If you were using hard drugs, these were no longer. I'm not really sure what the crime would have been, but I know they were knocked out to misdemeanors, and nobody was arrested for it. Really, the bigger deal, the bigger problems that happened were um, with the fact that people were not getting arrested for small amounts of drugs, which I completely agree with. They also were not prosecuting for possession and intent to sell. Talking about like larger quantities dealers. They were getting arrested, but they were no prosecutions. There were three prosecutions from all of 2021. Now, we have to balance this with the fact that there were 1,792 accidental overdoses from 2019 to 2021. Now, you can't say there's causation. Well, they're not, you know, they're not arresting, so people are using more. I don't, I don't really think that's what the situation is. I think the situation is fentanyl. I think that it's very, very easy to get, and the people that are selling it and bringing it in, they, they basically have carte blanche to do it. And let me, let me 
qualify that by saying I'm, I'm being I'm exaggerating a little bit. So here is what you've heard from Boudin's office, from Boudin's supporters. Also, I got so I wrote a piece for Reason where I mentioned this, and in the video I talked about the fact that people with immigration issues, there is something if you are arrested uh, with you know possessing with the drugs with the intent to sell, and you are an illegal immigrant or you have immigration issues. That triggers something. You have to take that into consideration before you're going to prosecute because the reasoning is that you're brought in by the cartels. They call it human trafficking. You're brought in by the cartels. You have to sell. If you get sent home, the cartels, because you are you are prosecuted, your, your immigration kicks you out of this country because you're, you know, illegal, um, you will be murdered. Uh, in in Honduras is that's mainly the place where my impression where a lot of the dealers in San Francisco are from or where they're saying they're from, and not only will you be murdered but your family will be murdered too. So nobody wants murder. I don't want anybody to be murdered, but I think it was a little bit of a scare tactic too, uh, with the underpinnings of um, we have to be we have to be fair. We have to treat people fairly. Here's why I don't think it's especially fair. And also especially logical. I don't think it's data-driven because if you had three prosecutions for uh, possession of drugs with the intent to sell last year, three, I don't know how many were sent back to Honduras. Uh, but were any of them murdered? I don't think I don't think there's any data to support this, but that is what you're told. Um, I also know I spoke with um, I spoke with the former uh, second in command of the San Francisco Police Department. I'm actually going to edit that interview and uh, and post it um, as an audio interview. Um, he said, "Here's the reality, Nancy. You know these people are arrested and then they're just out. They're not prosecuted. They just get back out and they're making you know about twenty grand a month. Some of them, not all of them, I'm sure, but they're supporting their families nestle very nicely in Honduras. Now, I don't even know if I ha have a problem with that. The problem I have with that." Is, is fentanyl and the drugs. And I will tell you what's going on there. And you can read about it in, in my pieces. And and in Nellie Bowles' oh my God, Nellie Bowles wrote a fantastic, fantastic piece that was in the Atlantic. Um, it came out the day after Boudin had lost, which was last Wednesday. I'm sure she was working on it earlier um, because it's very long and detailed and, and absolutely heartbreaking. So I have a question here. I think if you had data from other states in the U.S., that would be sufficient to support the claim they're making. It's not like they'll only kill people deported from San Francisco. Well, that's true. And you know what? I don't I don't have the answer to that. I, I don't know. And I also don't know. Um, I mean, this would be something actually just super interesting to look into. Like we know, you know, sometimes I remember black tar heroin was coming from different parts of Mexico. I, don't, I guess fentanyl, you just make it in a lab. You don't need, you know, you don't need poppies or anything like that. Why are why are the Hondurans the ones in San Francisco? And is it another group of people in another city? That would be interesting to find out. And it would be interesting to find out too if 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 this is actually happening. Um, I guess one of the, the this this officer I talked to, one of his his contentions was, you know, they say they're being held, they're tr being trafficked here, and they're being held here basically as slaves against their will. But he's like, you know, some of them are living in these houses, they're playing video games, they're sending twenty k home to the family. You know, it's also kind of a good good life. Um, let me tell you from my very, you know, I, I have not spent, I actually have spent a lot of time in San Francisco, but I haven't spent a lot of time there uh, this year on, on this story. But I did hang out down at United Nations Plaza, which is, was 
In December of 2021, Mayor London Breed declared a state of emergency in the Tenderloin and opened something called the Lincoln Center. It's now called the Tenderloin Center. And it's sort of a, it's an, it's a, it's a building and there's like an outdoor area and there's like green fencing all around it. And the, the ostensibly what it was supposed to be was sort of a one-stop shop for people that need help. They need housing help, medical help, psychological services. And, but what it turned out they also had in this center was a place where you could relax and do drugs, any kind of drugs you want. You have to bring the drugs in, obviously, yourself. They're not going to provide the drugs for you. So what I was told by a drug um, um, a recovery advocate named Tom Wolf, who had been on the streets until four years ago and has spent time down at the, at the uh, Lincoln Center and the Tenderloin Center, is he's like, okay, so Nancy, what happens is that people come in and they avail themselves of the Adirondack chairs and the careful, the a clean, nice, relaxing place to do drugs. Um, and they don't really use the services. What his quote to me, I haven't looked it up, so don't at me if I'm wrong about this. He said, less than one half of 1% of the people that came through, uh, I don't know if it was this year or last month, have availed themselves of the services, which to me makes sense having known people that were drug addicts. I mean, the first thing you need to do is do the drugs. Like your first thing is not like, okay, let me take care of all my housing, all my medical stuff, and then I'll do a shot. I mean, that's 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 not going to happen. Okay, so what happened to the center? Well, it's that area is now the whole area is considered like a safe zone for people to do and sell drugs. I mean, I it's not. I don't think it's legal to sell fentanyl or heroin, but it it it's happening. Right? I mean, it's it's completely out in the open. There's absolutely nothing. That that's stopping it, and um, I hung out there with another very good journalist from San Francisco, Erica Sandberg, and I got to tell you, um, it's it's not it's not a good scene. It's um it's really heartbreaking, actually. Nelly Nelly talked about it in her piece very well. Uh, she gave an example of um, someone on the street she lived used to live on who died of an overdose and basically lay in the street for eleven hours, like just a body there. There are bodies just. There are bodies. Now, were they dead bodies right where I was sitting? No, they were dying bodies. There's no doubt about it. These people were physically ravaged and um, with open wounds um, and utter filth. And one woman just sort of like wheeling around in a circle in her wheelchair. As I put it a piece, I have no idea how old she was. You, you, had, you couldn't tell. This is a ravaged human being. I also saw young people, people that were like, you know, 20 years old, um, shooting each other up. Now... I got some hell. Um, you know, I write for Reason magazine. I love Reason. I love, love, love that they let me write for them. I'm not on staff, but I I contribute frequently. I don't happen to be a libertarian. I probably lean libertarian in some areas. Um, I don't think people should go to jail for small amounts of drugs. I think drugs should probably be legalized so we could open up systems around that would help people to, that so they wouldn't be so dangerous, number one. And also it would create a... a uh, institutions and reasons to help people um, get off drugs. I think what's happening, and I'm going to get back to why this applies to Boudin, I think what's happening there, I think people tell themselves they're being kind, and it also is sort of an ideological thing, I guess, especially amongst libertarians, like don't tell people what to do. And you definitely do not want to live in a police state. So Nancy, that's what they want to do. They want to die in the streets, 
that's what they want to do. That's not up to you to decide. And God forbid you would want the police having anything to do with this. So I'm going to read a question. I think the problem of homelessness could be solved in large part if we were able to institutionalize people who are truly sick and hooked on drugs. Well, I know uh, uh, back in, I guess it was the 1980s, uh, no, before, 70s, when when Reagan was governor of, um, I think I'm getting this right, of, of California, he did, de- he, he opened a lot of the institutions because a lot of the institutions were apparently, as you can imagine, just terrible. I mean, just terrible, terrible places. So you don't want to do that either. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, uh, smaller, smaller places trying to help help people that are hooked on drugs or have mental illness. In any case, um, I the way Boudin figures into this and the way his ideology and the way I was getting hell on Twitter for for some reason, if you go watch the video I did with uh, with Nick Gillespie, somebody watched it who I'm not going to name, and he said, oh, well, look at her. She just wants everybody thrown in jail. I'm like, I never said anything of the sort. What I said was Boudin's policies of not prosecuting at all has increased the visibility and the actual area, London Breed did this too, for people to use drugs openly. It has created a pox right downtown in San Francisco. It's visible. It's not like an invisible problem. I mean, you know, the high price of, of San Francisco is is very difficult, but that's like, it's not an invisible problem, but that's not really what causes homelessness, right? What causes homelessness is mental illness and drug addiction. In any case, it's a visible pox. All right, so people are like, and and how do people how do people get their drugs? So the city gives I, I'm gonna botch the numbers a little bit. The city gives people uh, who are on the street $680 a month in support, a couple hundred dollars in food stamps. So let's say it's a little under nine hundred dollars. How long does that really go? I, I don't do drugs, so I don't I don't know what they cost, but I know it's not going to last you more than a week or so. You're going to have to get that money. So how are you going to get money? You're going to do sex work, which which um, which Boudin also decriminalized, which I'm for. I mean, I'm it should be decriminalized, um, and you're going to steal, and that is the number that's gone through the roof in San Francisco. Theft is through the flipping roof, and we're talking property crimes, and we're talking home invasions, and we're talking, as Nelly says, stealing the coat off your back, and cars. Everybody talks about getting their car broken into. Okay. So now you have this pox on one part of the city, which is there are literally people dying and shooting up right there. Okay. It's banana Nancy's. What would it cost? $10. What? Uh, oh, what? Someone's asking me what fentanyl should, would cost. I guess. I, 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 it probably is pretty cheap. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I haven't done drugs in 40 billion years. But um, in any case, so you've got the pox on the city. People, people don't like that. But you know what? The rest of San Francisco is, as usual, is beautiful, or most of it is. I, we're always staying by the by the painted ladies. Oh, my God, it was so beautiful. The city is beautiful, except for this one really big pox with people dying. But, you know, you could just say, well, I'm just not going to go down there. But you know what? When your car is broke, being broken into and you are getting your jacket stolen off your back and when they are actually breaking into your house while you're there with your kids, that starts to affect you. So... People are like, is Chesa Boudin the scapegoat for this? Probably a little bit. Could Chesa Boudin some, do something about that theft? Maybe. I mean, that's not his job, all right? He's he's a district attorney. He's, he's in charge of prosecuting crimes. But when you make everything not a crime, or almost everything, he's also had just some weird, I, I'm going to just send you to my articles because I put links to different, like, this one, okay, sorry, this gal and her husband, 
she was Asian, he was white. They murdered her father and cut off his head and stuck it in the freezer. And then they fled the country with their kids. They were brought back, brought back. And he gave her, I think it was three years probation. I'm like, wait, what? The, like, who are you making? Chesley Boudin, apparently, besides these kind of, you know, sort of restorative justice programs where you're not going to go to jail, you're going to go get, um, you're going to work it out with the person of crime you committed to. You're going to get help with your dr- drug situation. You're going to do other things. You're not going to go to jail. That's great for some crimes. Cutting someone's head off and putting them in the freezer, I don't, like, where is the logic in this? Like, I would like the libertarian argument that that's, like, cool. Like, can't do that. All right. Um, Lawrence says, they've created a moral hazard where people can and will do whatever it takes to maintain their drug habit. I like Mel and Sh- Michael Schellenberger's approach, which is shelter first. Yes. So Michael Schellenberger wrote a book called San Francisco. Um, I don't remember the subtitle, How Liberal Policies Destroy Cities, something like that. I know Michael. I interviewed him when I was in San Francisco for the school board recall. Uh, and then I interviewed him. So Michael was running uh, for governor. He's trying to get on, uh, you got to get enough votes to kind of get on the ticket. He didn't, but I did go to his um, watch party before I went to the Boudin watch party. I have a nice little video of him up on Twitter. He's a nice guy. He's got some interesting ideas, which I think are very humane. I actually think they're a lot more humane than the very far left progressive ones that Boudin's supporters claim that they that they um, support. I I don't I don't see them working. I think a lot of people didn't. Well, obviously the majority of people didn't see them working. Of course, they're saying he's being scapegoated. They're saying, well, you know, you just had to wait longer. It would have worked out. Well, people weren't willing to do that, and that's you know what I love the recall. I think it's great, and uh, he he's gone. So homelessness is a result of addiction, or is it the other way around? Is kind of a chicken and egg conundrum. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're I, I, I've got stories, someone in my family um, who actually was not using anything or was was sober, had been sober many years when when he became homeless. But I remember um, he had a car. It was like he was basically living in his car. But then I, I actually wasn't, I wasn't around when this happened. I, I was living in a different state, but um, he had to sell the car um, in order to just get enough money to, you know, whatever food, you know, socks. And I just, I wasn't there when it happened, but I, I picture him sometimes just watching that car get, you know, driven away. And that's like your last, your last hold. And now he, he never did use any drugs or alcohol again, which was fantastic because that had not been a good thing for him. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, when you're hopeless, um, drugs take away the pain for a little while, but they exact a really really, really big cost. And they put you, you know, we're against putting in people in prison and putting, being, becoming a drug addict is entering another kind of prison. I'm sure most people uh, watching this or listening to this have known someone who has been an addict um, to whatever it is. And um, it is it is a form of imprisonment, whether it's a, you know, heroin addiction or even a food addiction or something like that. You, you, you lock yourself in. And then unfortunately, in the case of people that are doing drugs, you start to, um, you start to eat away like brain power on hard drugs for a long time. And then you, you can't get out because you just, you can't do it anymore. And your body needs it so badly. I remember watching the Amy Winehouse documentary and she was so unbelievably talented and she won the Grammy and turned to her friend and said, this is so boring without heroin. Cause I guess she was clean at the time. Um, but it's another reason why I, I have a really 
hard time understand. I understand people's rationale when they're like, we want to create safe places for people to shoot drugs. We want to make sure that they have clean needles. We want to make sure that it's sanitary. We want to make sure that we have people on site so when they overdose, we can bring them back. And I, I understand how people see the humanity in that. I, I see it as enabling someone to continue being an addict, and that's a prison, and I, I can't support that. I will support a billion a billion ways of help people getting off drugs and safely and with kindness. And, um, but I, I, I have a hard time with the, um, whatever they call them, the safe, safe shooting centers or something. Anyway, that was San Francisco. Um, let's, uh, let's jump tracks now over here to, uh, Felicia Sonmez. So Felicia Sonmez, um, has been since I think 2018, a reporter. Um, I think she was on the National Beat or the White House Beat for a while for the Washington Post. Uh, not last week, but the week before, uh, another uh, reporter at the Post, Dave Weigel, very good reporter, political reporter, has been at a lot of places over a lot of years, seasoned reporter, retweeted a joke. And the joke was, all women are bi. You just have to figure out if it's sexual or polar. Well, it's just not a very good joke. Um, and he retweeted it for whatever reason because people on Twitter just do things because it's real easy. It goes click, click, click. Um, so I'll, I'm going to get to your question in a minute, Zach. Let me um, just uh, let me just uh, get back and fo- to Felicia for a second. So Felicia Sonmez, I don't have her quote in front of me, but it was something like, fantastic to work for a place where, you know, where they allow people to, you know, retweet these sexist tweets. So... I guess she also said it on Slack, uh, which is the internal, you know, Slack is the internal way people talk within companies. And um, Dave Weigel uh, took it down and apologized. So obviously, if we were grownups here and if we didn't have other reasons why we were doing things, that would have been the end of it. But of course, it was not the end of it. Um, And I'd just like to say, before we go any further... I have always been of the opinion that if you have a problem with someone that you know, you know this person, you work, maybe you work in the same building with them, maybe you're on the, I don't know, you're on the PT with them, you're you're a parent with them. If they do something that you think is, I don't know, kind of pisses you off, you think it's kind of shitty, you know what? You know what I would suggest doing? I would suggest uh, picking up a phone or texting or walking across the office to the person's desk and say, you're being a dick. Why did you do this? This is like, I find this really offensive. And the person could go, holy mackerel, blah, 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 or could come back at you or whatever. Or you could say, look, let's go out and get drinks and talk about it because I want to explain to you what my position is. Like, that's what a grown-up would do. That's not, of course, what people do because they need, I don't, they have a lot of reasons why they wouldn't do that. Well, Felicia Sonmez's reasons I will get into in a second. In any case, she kept tweeting. She kept tweeting about it, and Dave Weigel was suspended for a month without pay. Yes, you might find that shocking. So do I. Another reporter uh, came in and said, Felicia, like maybe this isn't like the best way to do this to your colleagues in public. She started coming down on him. It went on and on and on for six days, all right? Meanwhile, there was another, I'm not even going to get into the Taylor Lorenz situation. Taylor Lorenz was having her own issues for saying she'd contacted 
contacted um, sources for her and they didn't get back to her when she hadn't. And so she is over there like with her own kerfuffle. And now Sonmez is here. They essentially became the news. They, especially Sonmez for five days. I mean, okay, I hate to say it. In the journalistic community, this is like popcorn theater at a certain point. But it also became, including to me, and I'll tell you why that's interesting, it became pretty horrifying. Not just in that she was tweeting, but for why she was doing it in terms of her own, where she was mentally. So, okay, Sally Busby, who is the executive editor of The Post, she came in, I guess, over the the weekend and said, please be collegial. We don't do this. Didn't matter. Felicia took her thing and post. It just was on and on. It was so over the top. I was in, uh, where was I in the time? I don't know if I was in Tulsa. I was driving back from Tulsa. And I, uh, I texted Michael Moynihan and Matt Walsh and I said, how many hours before she's fired? And, uh, it turned out it was one. Um, I thought she'd be, uh, I thought she'd be suspended with pay just because you know, there's more lawsuits coming down the road. By the way, she sued the Washington Post, um, over a year ago and, uh, her case was dismissed with prejudice. And that's, that's, that's kind of complicated to go into, but, I'm going to explain a little something to you about Felicia Sonmez. And people, some people already know this. I There's links to an article called The Shiv in the Hand of Kindness that I wrote. Um, oh, boy, boy, 25-minute mark. I don't want to go too over. So um, back in 2017, Felicia Sonmez was in Beijing. She was working there, I think, as a stringer. She wasn't, she wasn't on staff anywhere. Jonathan Kamen was the head of the Beijing Bureau for the LA Times. They were at a party, uh, kind of a, you know, expat journo party. Drinking ensued. They, uh, she, she got him on her scooter. They were making out. Oh, they were making out at the party. That She got him on her scooter. They went back to his place on the way. He put his hands under her skirt. She's like, no, 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 not in, pu- in public. They get to his place. They walk up six flights of stairs where she had been before, so she knew his place. Now, I mean, people do get drunk and black out. Don't know. Could be the case. Um, They have sex. Oh, before they have sex, apparently, according to what he told investigators, um, he kind of wasn't sure if he wanted to do it because he had a girlfriend back home. They go upstairs. They do it. They finish. She gives him a blowjob afterwards. She leaves. Um... That was in September of 2017. In January of 2018, a woman named Laura Tucker. Now, we have to understand, it's the Me Too tidal wave is just sweeping through the world. A woman named Laura Tucker um, writes a post on Medium.com saying that five years earlier, she had a hookup with Jonathan Kamen that felt icky. She felt icky about it. Uh, She thought that she didn't really want to. She felt pressured by him. He said that's not how it happened. The day after that Medium post comes out, um, Felicia Sonmez, this is now four months later, contacts um, Jonathan and says, I I feel that I was also sexually assaulted by you. There's a lot more details, but let's just cut to the chase. He is fired as the Washington, uh, uh, as the, uh, the, the Beijing bureau chief by the LA Times. He loses his book contract. His name is, he's completely destroyed professionally. He moves back to the States and lives with his parents. Um, Felicia Sotomayor, meanwhile, is hired by the LA Times. Um, Not in a big position. I think she was blogging something for them. In any case, 
he basically has no prospects. Because every time you Google his name, it's the first thing that's going to come up, right? So um, I think it was in 2019, Emily Yaffe, Y-O-F-F-E, writes a piece for Reason called I'm Radioactive about Jonathan Kamen. And she basically runs down what happened. And it's pretty damning for Sonmez. It's it's not good. It's like you're just remembering. You don't remember, but you're telling people, "I wish I were. I wish I had been sober enough to remember whether I'd been raped." It's it's not. And her story doesn't line up, and it doesn't matter because everybody believes her. We are in. We are in totally locked into believe women. That's it. And she is believed, and she gets the job, and he is kicked kicked to the curb for basically all eternity, as far as he understands it. His girlfriend stands by him, his family stands by him, a few friends. But, you know, when this stuff happens, people don't stand by you because they're afraid or they believe the story or they're afraid your shame is going to splash onto them or something. In any case, uh, Kobe Bryant is in a helicopter with his daughter Gianna and seven other people. The helicopter goes down in Calabasas and all are killed. And three hours later, essentially, when the helicopter is still on fire, uh, Felicia Sonmez tweets, retweets an article from Jezebel um, that had talked about how many years earlier Kobe Bryant had been accused of sexual assault, which a case that he never was convicted of it, um, and we don't really know what happened. We weren't there. But in any case, it was something that happened. He apologized for it. It was in the past. So Felicia Sonmez took this moment to um, tweet this. People, understandably, are not so happy with that, and they come back at her, and she says, I just, listen, I didn't write the piece. I'm just telling you, I think it's important to remember people in their totality, something like that. Well, she got piled on again. Uh, her boss at the time, Marty Barron, who was the executive editor at the Washington Post, told her, Felicia, you need to stop tweeting. And also, you are suspended for a day with pay, something like that. Well, she and about 10,000 people online uh, are very, very angry. They feel that she's being silenced. As a sexual assault survivor, she is being silenced. And um, the Guild comes to her uh, support. Uh, Dave Weigel, who she later you know, got suspended for a month, um, comes to her support. People at the Post do. A lot of people do. It was the era. It was January 2020. And she is comes back to work the next day, and a lot of people are basically accusing Marty Barron of trying to silence women. Now, let's remember that this is the same Marty Barron who was the head of the Boston Globe when they uncovered the Catholic uh, Church scandal for um, for uh, molesting children. So we this is not someone that has it out to you know cover up this kind of behavior. In any case, I wrote a piece uh, in in the wake of. Sonmez is tweeting, and um, I it's called The Shiv in the Hand of Kindness, and it talks about when people um, see opportunity uh, in the tragedy of others to um, get some some attention for themselves. I, I think that was what Felicia was doing. I'm not a psychologist. Um, it seemed to me that is the case because she's done this now over and over. 
including uh, after the Uvalde shooting, she tweeted something along the lines of, I just like people to remember that when I was having a hard time and I wanted, I needed to walk around the block, you know, her bosses, you know, got up in her face or something. All right. I'm going to just break here for a second for some questions. Uh, Zach is back in the, uh, in San Francisco with regards to the recall effort itself. Did you get a sense of where most of the momentum origi- originated? Originally, the media blamed white techies, but in the aftermath, the Asian community loomed large. It was very much the Asian community. There is, of course, there were pro-Boudin people in the Asian community, but the Asian, you have, I think it's 35% of San Francisco is Asian, and they mobilized, man, after the school stuff, when their kids were not able to go to school, when the talented and gifted school was, it was all taken away because that was considered racist, and their kids are already going there. Yeah, they were. Um, It was somewhat grassroots. It was somewhat tech, too, but the whole idea that it was this Republican, I, I got tweeted this, it was Republican propaganda campaign campaign. It's like, okay, well, even if they put in a million dollars, it's that there's 7% of San Francisco voters are Republican. Like how much influence are you buying? I think it was people, I mean, I think it was genuinely people who were like, they were getting their stuff stolen. Though I did read that the richest, whitest areas of San Francisco were not, they were still pro-Boudin. So that kind of follows the pattern that we've seen. Um, the past couple of years, and one of the f- pieces I put up about Boudin, I recalled that when I was in Milwaukee, I mean, not in, in Minnesota, uh, anyway, I'm not going to tell that story. Okay. Um, after listening to you and Sarah talking about Felicia and the Washington Post situation on Smoke em, if you got them, uh, plug for my new podcast. Guys, please, 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 please go to Substack and sign up for the podcast. If you want to pay for it, that would be even better because we're going to start giving some nice ex- extras for the um, paying people. But we're having a lot of fun there, and we are doing a lot of talking twice a week. Um, I actually gained some sympathy for Felicia. Yes, that's what I'm going to get to. Thank you, Burnt Out Mechanic. I'm going to get to that too. Um, uh, m- another from Indie Handbook. Maybe it's because I was introduced to her through Emily Yaffe's Epic in Reason a few years ago, but I've never been able to think of Felicia Sonmez as a serious journalist. Well, that's interesting because we all know who Sonmez is because of these campaigns that she starts but do you know her work? Uh, on the fifth column the other day, I don't know if it was a Patreon, not Patreon, they're not on Patreon anymore, they're on Substack, if it was a, a paid episode or a free one. But 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 um, Matt was saying that. It's like, you know, you, you have certain um, White House reporters or national reporters, every once in a while you're reading something like, oh, who is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's so-and-so. I know their byline. I can't name any of Felicia's bylines. I think I've only seen it once. I don't think she's um, an incandescent writer, but you know what? A lot of newspaper journalists aren't. They're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're yeoman, and that's great, and we need them to do that. But no, that's not why she's known. Um, from the outside, she appears to be unhinged, airing out grievances in public, calling for coworkers to be fired, et cetera. It's troubling behavior. I would recommend therapy. Um, okay, so I wanted to say in terms of what someone mentioned about the sympathy. Okay, so I I have definitely been... Let me try to frame it. I was trying to think of a metaphor yesterday. Okay, so if the building is on fire, right, and people are being consumed by the fire, my job would be to go in and make sure the people are not being consumed by the fire, right? I saw Sunmez as continually trying to burn people down. She tried to, you know, she wrote this long, long letter to Reason Magazine after Emily Yaffe's article, like, complaining. Caitlin Flanagan came out and and tweeted to her once, like, Felicia, he has no job, he has no health insurance, he's living with his parents, and he's unemployable. What more do you want? You won. But I think for someone with whatever Sunmez's predilections are, you're trying to fill up a hurt by hurting other people. And it will never be filled. You can't be filled. So anyway, all right, 
my job is to put out the fire, put out the fire, make sure other people don't get burned. So I have been pretty vocal about Sonmez over the past couple of years. I'll link my article. I will not go after her uh, on Twitter. I don't do anything like that because that, my work can speak for itself. But I think it should be known. Like, this is what this person does. Now, when she went over the top cuckoo bananas last week to the point where there was like this, well, there were two things. Ay, ay, ay. This, the, this is the one that made me turn and probably the, the episode that you heard. It was last weekend. I was told by someone who had been burnt by all of this. It was her 40th birthday. And what did she do? She took some of like eight or 20 of the nasty things that people had said to her. She cropped them and she curated them in a series of tweets to show that she's being besieged. It's like a friend of mine said to me, and this is exactly true, does she not have someone in her world who cares enough to take her phone and say, you need to stop and bring her to the house and give her soup or give her a cocktail or watch stupid television with her? She didn't. And that's that just struck me as crushingly sad. And then last week, she just was ranging everywhere, you know, only at the Washington Post. It's enriched white people who are getting all this. And finally, it was enough. The Post just said, we can't. She got fired and basically said, you can't represent the paper. If what you do is just try to bring the paper down and just rebuild. And that's, that's the right choice. And the right choice is for her also to, like, get loved and to to just be quiet or go, like, take a, you know, 30-day walk, you know? I, I don't know, but I actually started really feeling some sympathy for her because she, it was, there's just the unhappiness was so palpable. Oh, so I had a people, like, I said that at one point with something I put on Twitter, and people are like, I said something, I'm really conflicted, and they're like, oh, are you conflicted between, like, rage and hate? And I'm like, no. And frankly, now is not the time. Now that the fire is out, now is not the time to pile on the fire starter, okay? Now is the time to take the fire starter out and say, you know, how can we help you? Now, I'm I'm not going to be that person, but I'm not going to be the person that piles on her when she's down because she certainly was doing enough of that to herself. Okay, guys, um, we're at 37 minutes, 30 seconds. That's We have our self-imposed 35, 40-minute uh, Mark, um, I'm sorry, Matt couldn't be here. Hopefully next time. And yeah, please go follow us on, uh, on Pluma Media and go follow us on um, Smoke Em If You Got Em. And we love you all. And, and thanks. <laughs>